back to NL Newsday. Jeff Andreas here, hoping everyone's having a lovely Monday afternoon. Pleased to welcome to the show now, Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, how you doing here today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks, as always, for the time. So we want to start here when it comes to COVID-19 restrictions. So over the weekend, Dr. Bonnie Henry announcing some regional rules um, around things like social gatherings in the Lower Mainland because numbers are continuing to climb right in Vancouver Coastal and in the Fraser Health region. So Provincial Health Officer Henry announced the orders on Saturday, which focused, like I said, on social gatherings, travel, indoor group exercises, and workplaces. And they applied to residents of those two health regions, which I had just mentioned. So uh, I just wanted to start by getting kind of your view of what you have seen. So these rules came down on Saturday afternoon. They went into effect, I believe it was Saturday night at 10 o'clock. Have you seen much? You're a Vancouver resident. What have you seen here in these last, uh, you know, almost 48 hours since these rules came into play? Have you noticed any real changes? I haven't. I went out uh, Saturday night to Ikea and it was still filled with people. Um, people weren't practicing good distancing at the store. Um, it was it was like normal other than that people were wearing masks. So I didn't really see anything right away after the restrictions were announced. Um, even on Sunday, um, there seemed to be the usual amount of traffic for a Sunday. People seemed to be out and, and about and doing things, walking in the streets and, and together in groups. So I can't confidently say that we've seen any change in behavior yet. Now, before we jumped on here, you mentioned that your office, uh, you know, you at Acumen Law, you've made a few changes here in the last little bit just to try to be more compliant with with what's going on and try to increase your COVID-19, I guess, awareness and safety protocols within the office. So what steps have you guys taken here in these last uh, two days to make sure that you're being compliant and and taking all the the precautions necessary? We've installed a lot more plexiglass and physical barriers between different people's workstations. We've transitioned to having some of our employees back to working from home again. And we've also required everybody who attends the office um, each day to fill out a questionnaire just confirming that they don't have any symptoms and to check their temperature um, to ensure that nobody is coming to the office with a fever. So we're, we're making sure that we get a written documentation from each employee that they are following COVID protocol and that they're not exhibiting any symptoms or any illness. Okay, so clearly, you know, you guys have taken it upon yourselves to be proactive here and try to make sure that you're doing all you can to keep your own self safe, which is which is great news. And I know we have some precautions here in our office and, and we've got an email here today saying some things are going to be stepped up here uh, as we continue to progress. So I know a lot of workplaces are taking those, um, you know, these things seriously, which is very important. But uh, I wanted to get into the issue around social gatherings now. That was one of the questions that many seem to be asking following Saturday's announcement, right? Taking to social media to say, what actually constitutes a household? And I saw some clarification about that. It's those who live in your home, your immediate family, maybe a close friend or any, basically people you are already in contact with on a very frequent basis. And that number, of course, should be very, very small. Your immediate household plus your safe six, which is probably even a little bit narrower than that, given what we heard on Saturday. Um, It was also noted that going outside and, and say going for a walk with someone doesn't necessarily apply to this definition. So essentially keeping your contacts to those with who you live with and those you see pretty much on a very, you know, maybe daily, every other day kind of basis. Now, with all that being said, that is a very specific definition and probably one that's going to be hard for anyone to look out and say, I wonder if that person that they are with right now is actually someone they should be associating with. So with that in mind, 
Is this at all an enforceable rule? I don't think that who you're meeting up with is going to be enforceable in any way, unless there's some type of witness or surveillance. Um, you know, if you have a nosy neighbor who makes a complaint about you having frequent house guests or um, associating with different people all the time, I don't think that it's possible for the police in in gathering the evidence to lay a charge or the prosecution to prove a charge um, to get the information necessary to show that somebody isn't within that kind of vague definition of what your immediate household is. Do you think, I guess, this really just comes down to people hearing what the provincial health officer is saying and, and, you know, taking those words to heart and make sure they're following the rules themselves, like basically taking matters into your own hands? Because you talked about it. I mean, we're not going to have police officers or bylaw officers or environmental health officers. They're not going to be running around asking people to stand two meters apart or, or peering through people's windows in their homes to count how many individuals are gathering inside at any given time. That's just not going to happen. So I think it really just comes down down to people being self-aware and and making sure they're doing their part to to follow what Dr. Henry has asked them to do. I see that as as being part of it. And also, I think there was a lot of confusion about what a safe six is. Is your safe six the people that live in your household, or does it include people that are outside your household? And so rather than continuing with the language of safe six, which doesn't appear to be changing anything for a lot of people in this province right now, um, using more restrictive language so that people think about who their contacts really are and eliminating their contacts physically. Um, Of course, you can still get together virtually, but eliminating their physical contacts and their close personal contacts to people that they need to come in contact with. That's who you should be dealing with right now. People that you have no choice but to be in contact with. Family members you're caring for, your children, the spouse of, of your child that you're not together with. Those are the type of people that you should be limiting your contacts to. Is there... Is there anything that you think could be done from a from a legal perspective to make people really take this seriously? Because like we talked about enforcement, we've talked about this with a number of items, not just when it comes to COVID-19, but just in general, um, you know, going around, running around, handing out fines doesn't necessarily really actually help people to follow the rules. So is there anything that can be done legally outside of, of you know, uh, people shaming other individuals and saying, I, I can't believe you're out there with somebody that you shouldn't be hanging out with? Other than that, is there really anything that's going to be effective? I mean, as a lawyer, I love clarity. And so I would love the government to make a very clear list of the people you're allowed to have contact with. Limit it, you know, to to identifying those, you know, common family relationships or the close personal bonds that we all have. Um, Identify who the people you're allowed to have contact are with precision so that people know what they can and can't do. And people don't go, well, you know, I can see my friend that doesn't have very many contacts, but I don't see that often because the risk is going to be low. Um, But we're still friends, so they're part of my safe six. That's not, you know, that's not clear enough for some people Mm because the message isn't getting through. So clarity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Black and white is something I always advocate for, but we haven't really had it throughout this whole pandemic. It's just, uh, I guess that's just the approach that our province has taken. What do you think the potential is for for what we're seeing right now, right, in Fraser Health and Vancouver Coastal? Now, of course, what we know is the, the case counts there are, are substantially higher than what we're seeing in other areas of the province. We here in the interior, right, are seeing a fraction of the number of new daily cases compared to what's going on in Fraser Health and, um, you know, maybe 
maybe a quarter or even less than what's going on in Vancouver Coastal. So what do you think the potential spillover is for these rules that we're seeing now into other regions? Um, I guess it would probably depend on, on what we're seeing in terms of case counts, but with the travel restrictions, you would hope people are, are abiding by those rules, but I don't necessarily trust that that's going to be the case, and I wonder if, if we're going to have to see something maybe tighten up a little bit further here down the road. I also don't trust that the travel recommendations are going to be followed. And I have a sneaking suspicion that in two weeks we're going to see the numbers in areas outside the Fraser Valley and the lower mainland increasing in the same way we're seeing them here. Um, And I think that that's going to result in these restrictions being adopted across the entire province. Because as long as people aren't complying, they're looking for ways around it. You know, they're going to drive to Merritt to go to this, go participate in something that they're not supposed to be doing in in Vancouver or in in Chilliwack. Yeah, and I know uh, we've talked about it here before, not you and I, but on Radio NL, where uh, there is a lot of people who were booking driver's tests, right, because of that huge backlog when things had to shut down, that a lot of people were looking to book them outside of the Vancouver area or the Surrey area, right, and start coming into the interior to book those tests and and get in a little bit quicker. So I do have some worry about that continuing to be a case, because I'm sure someone who's sitting there waiting for their trucker's license isn't going to put it off an extra few months because of these travel restrictions. They're just going to probably plow ahead and try to get it done. So I have some concern about that as well. Um, I think that's about all on that. And I'm sure we're going to continue to have these conversations, Kyla, down the road. So I don't want to stick on that for too, too long. I did have one other thing that I wanted to get to, and it's just kind of a a funnier story. It's a couple of weeks old now, but I wanted to bring it up because, A, like I said, it's a little bit humorous. And B, I do think there is something to be learned from it. So when uh, police pulled over a driver, he was a a man in his 20s from Squamish, and he was in uh, in the Vancouver area, West Vancouver, and he was pulled over for doing twice the 90 kilometer an hour speed limit and when he was pulled over the driver tried to explain that he was going at such an excessive speed because quote he had to use the bathroom now obviously kyla not a good excuse i mean i understand the actions you would take if you had to go really really bad uh you're gonna go a little bit faster to try to find somewhere to relieve yourself i understand that but not a great excuse when you're talking to the cops so with that being said i'm just curious what reasons could you actually give to try to get away with speeding like this? Not not like illegitimate excuses, but like what real things could be happening in your life where going 180 in a 90 zone would be okay? I imagine medical emergency. Is there anything else that that would apply to? Um, medical emergency or other types of life or death scenario. For example, um, people have been acquitted where they've been fleeing somebody who's pursuing them in circumstances where potentially they could come to harm. I've had clients I've represented who are fleeing a sexual assault, um, who've who've gotten off driving offenses as a result of of bad driving caused by that. Um, So if you're fleeing for your life, um, that would be one defense. If you're avoiding a hazard on the road that you have to speed up to that speed to avoid, we've people acquitted on that basis. There would, in theory, for some people um, who have uh, paraplegia, um, could be an argument that having to go to the bathroom is a medical emergency. There is a rare condition where um, it does become a medical emergency if you can't uh, use your equipment to relieve yourself, but that comes up so rarely um, that we don't see it very often. I think I've dealt with two cases like that in my career. All right, so it's not unheard of, but it's uh, very, very rare. I think that's about all, Kyla. I just wanted to have something to sort of change the subject a little bit here. So I appreciate that. Um, really, always as appreciate the time. Thank you so much for doing this. Always enjoy speaking to you on Mondays and look forward to doing it again next week. 
Thank you for having me. All right, that is Acumen Laws. Uh, Kyla Lee joining me on our usual Monday time slot.